Hey Jonah, so I am up here in Berchtesgaden at Eagle's Nest and I'm sniffling because I have a cold but um, there are these blackbirds here that I think are some type of corvid they have yellow, striking yellow beaks now what's interesting about this place and quite predictable when you think about it is, I mean it's gorgeous, it's full of natural space but there's a restaurant right here at the top which was um, Hitler's former house and the birds are all at the restaurant <laughs> of course because that's where they get in their food instead of from these bushes that look like juniper I don't know what they are but anyway I thought that was interesting. Welcome to Conservation Chronicles. I'm Mariana here with Jonah. Howdy. <laughs> I'm in Texas, so Howdy. I can say that now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it would be hello. Uh because that's how they say it in Germany. Hello. Oh, yeah. It's really cute. Hello. 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 Um, anyway, they don't say it three times like that. <laughs> hello, <right>? hello, hello, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, <laughs> so we've been on hiatus for a bit because I took a trip overseas for almost two weeks. Uh, Matt and I were in Germany visiting my sister and my brother-in-law. They live in Germany. I was born in Germany uh, my dad was in the military at the time, so I really wa I was really looking forward to the trip, and um, I visited my birth town and saw how it's changed because it's no longer a military installation. And uh, we we explored Frankfurt, which is where my sister lives. It's a really nice town. Um, you can just ride your bike everywhere in that town, and in, it's a city. It's not a town; it's a city. Um, so yeah, we did we did tons. Um, we also made a quick stop in Austria. We stopped in Salzburg so we could watch a marionette show of the Sound of Music, <laughs> which was amazing. Two of my favorite things: it was Sound of Music and puppets. Yeah, <laughs> it was so cool. That sounds really cool. How um, long was that? Was so it like yeah, the so full story? No, so it was just the musical parts. So um, there were, there was very little like non-musical dialogue. So it was the full story, but just the song. So when you do it, do just the songs, it really cuts it, um, cuts the full story. Yeah. Um, and they had a couple of differences too, like a couple of different songs. Um, uh, because I think, I think it was based on like the story, the story before it became a movie. Cause I think it was like originally written for the stage um, and then like uh, turn into a movie. Uh, I should know this because we went to the museum for the Sound of Music. Uh, <laughs> so there's a whole museum for it? Yeah, well, there's there's a museum about the family, about the Von Trapps. Oh, oh, okay. So it's a museum about, yeah, it's a museum about the real yeah. family, but there's like a whole wall about how they turn the, the their story into a movie and like all the differences. There are a lot of differences. But anyway, um, so we did that. But my favorite part, and I wanted to talk about my favorite part last because it it goes into the rest of the episode what i want to talk about with the episode but my favorite part was um Bechtesgaden, which is a town in bavaria so bavaria is southeastern germany it borders austria it's 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 like a state or like a region 
um, uh, that Germany separated into these like these these regions. But um, anyway, back to Skaden, which I've been to before, but I was like five years old, so I had no recollection of it. Um, it was gorgeous. So it sits right at the foot of the Alps, and oh, man, I can't even tell you how beautiful it was, and the people were amazing. And anyway, I'm, so wait, I'm trying to uh, look it up, but I have no clue how to fi- how to spell it. Oh wait, Bechtesgaden oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. National Park. It, okay, I'm gonna look it up real quick. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's Bechtesgaden. Um, so yeah, and I'll be talking more about it. Um, obviously, but be- so before we get to that, I almost forgot that we have news article, <laughs> news articles. I was just gonna like jump right into my. <laughs> oh, it's so pretty. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of it. Isn't it? Now. It's amazing those hills look alive with the sound of music they were (laughs) and like at night when we would stand at the on the porch of the inn we were staying at it was just like this adorable family-owned inn um you could hear the cow bells oh my god because the cows were out in the dark in the hills it was amazing so yeah yeah it's gorgeous out there um um yeah so yeah, well, let's talk about news, most of which is not good because it never is. Um, our ne- We yeah. need to... Okay, our next episode, I'm promising that it's going to be something that's a little upbeat. <laughs> 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 because we just always just talk about doom and gloom. I know. It does say a lot about the state of conservation right now, but at the same time, it's like when we're out there... It's a positive experience. Like it's a positive job. It's I don't know. It's it's a weird dichotomy, I guess, but yeah, yeah. That is very true. Um okay. I just have there was totally a couple articles while you're gone that I read and I was like, Oh, this is really good material for the podcast. And I was like, I don't need to bookmark this because I'll remember it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I cannot remember it. <laughs> um yeah. but maybe it'll come up again. But I had I just picked out three quick articles that I just want to give a little blurb about um, because they're interesting Mm -hmm. and maybe they are relevant to something we've already talked about or something that we are going to talk about. Um, And this first one is pretty sad and crazy. Um, Apparently, there's um, I don't know how you pronounce this Gao Gu G O U G H Island in the South Atlantic. Oh. Albatross numbers are plummeting there because house mice have been were introduced there back in the 19th century and they've just become um, so abundant that they're having a negative impact on albatross, the albatross colonies there. Um, the researchers discovered that the island had 2 million fewer seabird eggs and chicks each year during a study. So 2 million birds like declining every year. Um, That's crazy. And the the mice are eating the chicks and the eggs. And basically at this rate, you know, the, um, is, oh, and I should say it's the Trist- Tristan albatross is the species. Um, okay. And if this keeps going, then that species is going to become extinct. Um, and they have plans in 2020 to eradicate the mice, but that's like, over a year away and that means that over two million birds are going to be lost in that period so that's crazy pretty crazy we should we uh definitely have plans to do an invasive species episode oh yeah that's somewhat relevant um 
And it just shows you that this is like an extreme example of a negative impact that invasive species can have. Because those like two million birds, that's a lot. That is. Um, going somewhere a little warmer, Puerto Rico. I chose uh-huh. this one for you. Um, <laughs> so apparently since this one study um, found that since the mid-1970s, uh, the temperature in Puerto Rico, is pre- specifically northeastern Puerto Rico, has increased by two degrees Celsius um, since the mid-1970s, oh, which has had a really negative impact on the insects and millipedes and sow bugs there. Um, they've found that there's been a 60-fold decline in those um, invertebrates, which has been accompanied by a drop in lizards and birds and frogs, um, mm-hmm. which I think it was in our Kittredge episode we were talking about um, when we were talking about s- some species in Puerto Rico, I believe, and how they, like, during times of drought or like food shortage or something they all congregate and then because they're like looking for food and water and stuff and then that just yeah we were that just causes chytrid to spread even more and so i don't know um what <clears throat> effect this decline it's not like this just happened overnight um but it's, it has a you know it's crazy how many insects there are but just you know that exist in the world but it's also crazy how much they support other species and when they're lost this the cascade effect that it has on an ecosystem and that's what they're finding in puerto rico northeastern puerto rico right now yeah mm-hmm. um it's not something a lot of people think about because uh, you know they don't really think about uh how important insects are to to the ecosystem and and especially in like in the most extreme cases they they be perfectly happy to get rid of certain insects and yeah we need them even mosquitoes the deadliest animal on the planet we still need them yeah um yeah just think of the the species that mosquitoes the other species that mosquitoes support like as as food Mm -hmm. um you know bats and stuff it's i've i've been thinking this year i've been thinking a lot about insects i don't know why but i've just been thinking about well, probably because I've been thinking about how many birds there are. Like, I just remember in North Dakota, just in one day of work, the number of birds, like not only just species, but the the quantity of birds on the landscape, it's crazy. And you think of how many birds there are, let's just say in the United States, and how many of them are feed on insects, and how many insects there have, has to be to support those birds. That's just birds. That's not yeah. lizards and bats and frogs. Like, it's it's a staggering amount. Like, I'm pretty sure that I read somewhere about, like, the biomass of insects is greater than, like, all the other um, animals combined in the world. Or maybe I'm making that up. But for some reason, that, that makes, sticks that, out. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think I've heard that, too. It's just, it's just <laughs> impressive. And, um, yeah, like, you're right. Most people don't would like to see them go because they're annoying or whatever, but they're important. Like Aldo Mm -hmm. Leopold said, um, not quoting here, but the first, what is it like the first 
something in intelligent tinkering is, you know, saving every cog oh. and wheel. I have my sand county yes, almanac yeah. right here. Oh, that's such a good quote too. Um, oh gosh, I don't have it bookmarked. I probably couldn't find it. The yeah. first something in intelligent tinkering. Anyways, the point is that you take, you know, if you don't understand what you have, it's it's unintelligent to remove something that you have no clue what the effect it's going to be, it's going to have. And yeah. he was using mm-hmm. that example to relate to an ecosystem where we, ha- we have the slightest understanding, e- even back then. Um, we know more now, but we still know just a tiny fraction of what there is to know. Um, when you remove something mm-hmm. like insects, you don't know what the consequences are going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I oh I read I read um part of Aldo Leopold's essay about um the wolf he shot to my sister and my brother in law while I was in Germany. Oh actually. really? Interestingly yeah. Yeah. I have so I have San County Almanac right here. For those of you that don't know who mm-hmm. Aldo Leopold is or what we're even talking about, um Aldo Leopold was a sort of um one of the founding fathers of like modern day wildlife management in North America. So he, he wrote some important, um, he wrote the first textbook on like wildlife management, um, particularly like managing game animals. And, but then he also wrote Mm -hmm. a book called sand County Almanac, which is, he's really famous for, which is a collection of essays, um, just about his experiences and observations in the natural world and then also on like ethics, um, conservation ethics. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of his, that's like what he's known for is the land ethic, that that yeah. idea that if you take something away, um, you don't know what effect it's going to have when you don't understand it. But anyways, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that you read that essay about the wolf that he killed. Because um, for those of you that are, are unfamiliar with it he talks about this um like the green fire dying or fading from the wolf's eye like as it was dying and there's this other book that Mm -hmm. i have in my hand right now called wild animals i have known by ernest thompson setton and it was written in 1898 or something like that um so before aldo leopold yeah 1898 and he talks about it's it's a similar sort of you know, essays and stories about his time in nature or whatever. And he has a whole essay about like trying to hunt and kill this wolf pack. And he talks about a green fire dying from the wolf's eye when he killed it. So either that's actually what happens when you witness a wolf die or Aldo Leopold stole that very famous line that he is now (laughs) accredited with. (laughs) That's crazy. I wonder if, I wonder if like a green fire dying was like some sort of common phrase back then. Um, I don't know. That's I want to look at that. Yeah. Um, I do, but don't at the same time because it's such a great line. I don't. I know. know. I don't want to know like <laughs> that it didn't come from. Yeah, people. I just remember reading um. this book that I just <laughs> happened upon. I mean, this book that I have is from 1898. It is very old, um, and I wow. remember reading it and read that part, and I was like. Although Leopold didn't make that up because <laughs> that's like one of his famous lines that everyone's just like, oh, that's so poetic and beautiful. But maybe that's actually what yeah. happens mm-hmm. when a wolf dies. I don't know. We'd have to consult maybe people that have yeah. seen wolves die up close. Right. I don't yeah. know any. Do you? 
There are plenty of those, I'm sure. I don't know any, but there are plenty. <laughs> um, um, okay, moving on from that yeah. tangent. How did that even happen? Um, okay, last <laughs> piece of news that is the, the most disturbing and the most shocking. Um, oh, before I mention that, um, did you hear how China is lifting the ban on um, the... Uh, oh, the traditional Chinese medicine yeah, yeah. thing? What from, was that? Um, yeah, from yeah, um, using um, tiger bones and and parts and rhino yes. horn, like um, if it's like from captive populations or, or something, some crap like that. Right, I right. probably should have been more prepared to discuss this. But basically they just set back like over 20 years of this 20 year precedent of having this ban and like you know, people are pleading with them yeah. to to go back to the ban because they're setting a dangerous example. Um, quite yeah. shocking. Yeah, I don't know. I did hear about it, and I meant to look more into it, like why, at least what they say their justifications are for lifting it, and I never got around to it, but um, we should definitely look a little deeper into it and follow up with that because I was really surprised. Oh, it's it's um, um, it's they can be used in hospitals, which again, it's like we know oh. these things don't have medicinal purposes, but they're being used in hospitals, which I didn't know if they're used. Like mm-hmm. I always just thought that it was like, oh, people use this personally because of their personal beliefs. But I didn't know that it was that like ingrained that it will be used in hospitals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really ingrained in the culture. Anyways, um, <clears throat> last piece of news. Um. On October 24th, authorities in Madagascar confiscated, get ready for this, 7,347 radiated tortoises. What? On one 7,000? Yes. Which, oh my God. This, which I don't remember this happening, but this is the second um, seizure like this this year, back in April. Um, they confiscated 10,000 tortoises of the same species, the radiated tortoise coming out of Madagascar. So just this year, people, the just the people that have been caught have been trying to export over 17,000 radiated tortoises. Like how many? Are, just the people that have been caught. Yeah. Yep. How many are there even in the, in the country on that little island, on that island? Like. I would never have imagined. They must have been, I guess, hatchlings. Um, well, I'm looking um, at a picture, and they're pretty large. I don't know how large they get, oh, but they're yeah. like bigger than a regular tortoise that someone would have as a pet. Yeah, they get like. Um, I remember because there was one at the Cincinnati Zoo when I worked there. Uh, she was, she was really heavy. They, they get big. Okay. They get like really big. Yeah, this one's probably like um, as big as a human. The ones that I'm looking at are like as big as a human head. Okay, okay. Yeah, they do get bigger than that, but that even that is huge. But imagine uh, like <sighs> So this photo, they're that's so they're many. in this outside. The ones that were just confiscated were in this outside area like um and they're just like piled on top of each other. They have no room to move. But apparently back in April when those 10,000 were seized they were like all inside a building just like living in their own filth like didn't even have any sunlight um but this is i mean 
that's a huge um that's a huge number that's a huge impact on the the wild population but also like now the authorities have to find something to do with these they have to care for them during the um like the trial and stuff which we sort of mentioned in our last episode about poaching that that kind of challenge of dealing with confiscated live animals Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently that that's crazy. There's like this is just demonstrating that there's this huge spike in demand for this species, um, which apparently it's the market is the most heavy in Indonesia, where they can fetch more than seventy three hundred dollars a piece. Jeez! Wow. Yeah. So. Um, wow. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at the pictures now. Yeah, those are big. They do get much bigger than that, but wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, pretty um, pretty crazy. And that it just kind of goes along with our last episode on um, yeah. the illegal wildlife trade or legal wildlife trade. But I should also say that this species, the radiated tortoise, is appendix, CITES appendix one. So there's a complete ban on trade in these animals, yet yeah. somehow... People are trying to export thousands of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. People are still asking for them. Pretty disturbing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is disturbing. Anyways. So, okay. So, yes. Thank you for doing all that news stuff because I didn't have an article today. Um, so, yeah. I guess um, we can talk about today's topic, which is really more today's update. Uh, we wanted to just kind of um, reorient ourselves because I was gone for so long and um, Jonah's been busy with grad school and um, yeah. And this is just like a, a little update episode just to let you guys know what we've been up to and talk a little bit about um, wildlife while we're at it. So Jonah, uh, what have you been up to? Um, Nothing super interesting. Um. I am currently, I am employed at three different places, so that has kept me busy. <laughs> um, yeah, I had intention right. to record pod- a podcast or two while you're gone, an episode or two while you're gone, but now I am, I'm a substitute teacher at public schools in South Austin, which <laughs> is um, a way to make money. That's about all it is. It's horrendous. <laughs> Middle schoolers, they're like straight up demonic um, at public schools. <laughs> I've, it's it's quite shocking and disturbing. And I it this isn't I won't go further on this tangent, but it is enlightening. Based it it demonstrates why our world is currently the way it is, <laughs> because people are mm-hmm. raising children like this. And that's all I'll say about that, because I could go on because um, I'm learning a <laughs> <Yeah>. lot. Um <laughs> And then I'm also working at a retail place, um, mostly to fund a trip that my friend and I just bought our plane ticket to go to Belize in January. Um, awesome. So I'm just basically working all those jobs for that. Oh, and then I also teach at Texas State. So on top of being a student, mm-hmm. um, yeah, school's pretty uneventful. Um been applying to funding like a madman the past month i hit the mark of applying to uh, over one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars worth of grants 
um, yeah, for wow. my project on saddle bills. And hopefully this week I'm going to start hearing back from some. Um, and by the end of the year, I'll hopefully have heard back from most of them. So then I'll actually have an idea of what's going on. Um, also related to that, this is exciting. This is about as exciting as things get for me. Um, next week, I am going up to the Dallas Zoo um, because they have some saddlebill storks there. And I've partnered oh, with them and they're going to help. They're going to let me practice handling the storks um, because these are five foot tall storks with like harpoon like bills. Um, yeah. So I don't want to get to Zambia and have one trap one and have one in hand and have never touched one before. Um, yeah. So they're going to teach me because they manually restrain them for vet procedures and stuff. And then I'm going to be able to um, test like the fit of the GPS backpack so we can get sizes so that we're prepared when we're in the field. Um, that's awesome. That's, that sounds like it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. Um, I've never been to the Dallas Zoo either, so I'll probably spend the day checking that out. I don't even know the last time I went yeah. to a zoo, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, this was like a really long time ago now. This was probably like a month ago. But this is probably the coolest thing that's happened to me in the past month. Uh, my bird migration has pretty much tapered off um, at this time. But October was a pretty um, good month for migration. And normally it always is. Um, and unfortunately, I just am not as mobile and available to go out birding as much. But um, there's this Cornell Lab of Ornithology has this. They have this website um, called BirdCast. And it's basically mm -hmm. where they provide um, predicted, you know, forecast bird migrations over like for the next three nights because most passerine um, songbirds migrate at night when it's cooler. And so they use like historical radar data and also like weather data to predict like where bird migration is going to be heavy. And so I'm like always like glued to that so I can see when there's going to be a migration. And it happened to be like a full moon. And since they're migrating at night, you can put up a spotting scope on the moon because that's the only like bright surface. And you can just see uh -huh. birds like zipping past the disc of the moon as they're migrating through oh, the night. Cool. And there was one night that it was so heavy. I could see them flying by, but I could also just hear them like doing their little flight calls above me and oh, even like IDing a few yeah. species here and there. And to just be able to hear like hundreds and hundreds of birds migrating over is just, it's just amazing. And I, I don't know if I said this on the podcast before, but like it's, we'll never get to see that. Like humans, like yeah. we, we will never be able to, we can put GPSs on birds and like see where they're moving, but we'll never be able to actually like witness how epic that kind of bird migration is because it happens when we can't see it. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Um, oh, um, also monarch butterflies have been migrating here in Texas. I like heavy migrations of monarchs. Yeah. Um, I was sitting... I've gone back and forth to San Diego a couple times since we last recorded, and I was sitting mm -hmm. on in in the airplane. I had a window seat, and we were still sitting at the gate in Austin, 
And I just look out the window and there's just hundreds of monarchs migrating on the runway. And for for a couple the past wow. couple of weeks, whenever I've been out, there's just monarchs everywhere in the air. Um, That's really all cool. headed south. Pretty neat to see. Yeah. And that's about it. Oh, I planted a garden too. Well, I, that's about it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because you texted and said you had to weed your garden. <laughs> some zucchini plants are coming up. I just got some yeah. basil um, seedlings from my friends that I spent the weekend with. And yeah, yeah Texas, you can, because it's warm here, you can have some um, nice crops in the winter as we're going into winter. Yeah. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, you, you should talk about Germany because that's more interesting and I want to hear yes. about it. Hey, Jonah. So I got a closer look at those bushes and they're absolutely not juniper. It's some sort of pine. And um, I'll have to ID them later. But the foliage up here is really quite beautiful and obviously very alpine in composition up oh, there my group is losing me okay so i'll tell i'll tell everybody about about every, uh, everybody a little bit more than i've said already so bechtesgaden um in bavaria um has a bit of a sad history um it was home to hitler's stronghold um uh during the peak of the war and he he really liked the area and he basically invaded and occupied the town um, of Bechtesgaden. And it was just full of, um, like, I'm pretty sure I say it in the recording, um, the people of Bechtesgaden, they weren't Nazis. They wanted nothing to do with the Nazis. They were just regular townsfolk um, who were kind of blindsided by everything um, that happened, as most people were just totally blindsided by um, the intensity of the attack. But anyway, so um, Hitler just took over the town. And at first he paid some people for their properties. And then, of course, it turned into just, you know, sending people to concentration camps if they wouldn't give up their property or just killing them and beating them, stuff like that. But anyway, he set up his stronghold and his cottage. It's not really a cottage, but it's like a mountain cottage, I guess, but it's big. Um, that we call Eagle's Nest. I can't remember the German word for it, um, but in the U.S. we call it Eagle's Nest, and it's at the top, um, or it's in. It's actually in the Alps. So Bechtesgaden sits at the foot of the mountains, and his cottage, Eagle's Nest, um, is at like the top of a, a of a peak there, um, of one of the the peaks. Oh yeah, I'm looking at a picture. And of it. Wow. what yeah, a view! Yeah, wow. So, exactly. Wow. So. Um, so in fact, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, that view. It's, it's stunningly beautiful. It's, it's an amazing view. And I think it, it's really a shame that Hitler was the one who got to enjoy that view <laughs> that, yeah. um, you know, that, you know, he got to just build a cottage up there. It was really, it was mostly his mistress, Ava Braun, who spent time there, but he did too. Um, it looks so it's cool. Just, the, the cottage is so quaint for for him. It seems <laughs> right. Like a I know it's crazy. House. A regular looking little. I, I I expected something humongous when we got up I there. I thought that's what it was. I was like, be, oh, yeah. it's going to be big and lavish, but it wasn't. It was just like this little cottage, and um, 
but it's the view really i i feel like it's the, it's the kind of view um it's the kind of view someone who thought he was going to be king of the world um felt like he was entitled to you know it it just it's when i got up there it just seemed like wow this is this is exactly the kind of view i would expect hitler thought that belonged to him no matter mm-hmm. what um but anyway so it's gorgeous up there um it's it's Spectus got a national park is um is a park that controls the area um, or administrates the area. And um, obviously Eagle's Nest is part of it. And the the actual mountainside, I mean, Eagle's Nest is just a, a small part of it because most of the compound got destroyed by the end of the war um, and just burned down um, gladly. And the people of Bactus got and got to reclaim their town. But anyway, um, enough about human history. The natural history is amazing and the mountains so obviously we're in the alps um just in case anybody's not entirely familiar with the alps um the bavarian alps are not the highest of 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 the mountain range but absolutely gorgeous and um the highest i'm pretty sure the highest of the alps in germany are are in bavaria but um well Think they're only in Bavaria anyway, but anyway, <laughs> so it's anyway, it's just it's beautiful. The Alps are an amazing mountain range, and they're home to all sorts of wildlife, obviously. And like, just like the stories here in the United States, I mean, it's the same story everywhere across the globe. Um, many species either went extinct or went nearly extinct, and then, um, like in the mid 20th century, there were you know really intense efforts to bring these species back. So I knew that going in. Um, oh, I didn't put it in the list, but I was also looking for golden eagles. I didn't see any, but they're supposed to be up there as well. Um, yeah. Um, but on my list that I wanted to talk about today, there were three animals I wanted to see in the Bavarian Alps. Um, and just to remind everybody, Bavaria is just Southeast Germany. Um, so number one was the Alpine Marmot. I wanted to see this so bad. Oh, I forgot to send you a picture of, oh, I have to send you this picture. Um, Cause if I, if I leave the office right now, my dog's going to be all over me, but um, I got these, these socks at Bechtus got a national park that have pictures of marmots oh on it. <laughs> and like I picked it, but the reason I bought them was because they're not marmots. They're supposed to be marmots, but they're prairie dogs <laughs> in the picture. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to send you the picture. I looked at them and I was like, I mean, it, those are definitely prey dogs. And I don't know how they got on these marmot socks or like what happened <laughs> there. Oh with their, um, but yeah, so marmots are rodents in the squirrel family, but they're not um, prairie dogs. They look just, um, the alpine marmot looks just like the yellow-bellied marmot of North America. It does. Yeah, it looks very similar. Um, in coloration and everything and size as well. The, I think the Alpine Marmot's a little bit larger, but um, similar in size as well. Um, so anyway, so it, they are sometimes confused um, for um, prairie dogs for some reason, even though prairie dogs live only in North America, but they're colonial animals, they're burrowing animals, um, and they live in, um, as the name would suggest, they are found in the Alps, and they live in alpine meadows and um, rocky meadows. They like the rocky meadows a lot. And 
I was expecting to see them on the hike we took on a peak called Wattsman, which is the highest, excuse me, the highest mountain in the Alps that's entirely in Germany. So a lot of like the highest peaks are like shared between Germany and Austria or things, you know, something like that. Um, but this is the highest peak in the Alps that's entirely in Germany. And it's called Watsman. And this is the hike we took for some reason. <laughs> we thought that we could make it, to, <laughs> make it to the top of the highest peak in Germany. <laughs> um, <laughs> we made it to, like we made it halfway there because there's like a, a specific stop about halfway there or like 60% up the way. Actually, maybe even farther. Um, there's like a, a, a cabin that was close. It's closed for the winter, but like it's um, it's almost like a hostel type place where if you're taking a, a couple days hike, you can stop there and just sleep in a uh, bed yeah. on a on a cot. That sounds nice. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that was Watsman, and I was expecting to see alpine marmots there because um, they're there. Like, and I just I don't know why because there was so much human traffic, but I I I was expecting to see them, but I didn't unfortunately. So. No awesome story there. Um, I didn't see them at all. I didn't hear them. Um, but I think it was a combination of things. Um, one was the high amount of human traffic. And I know that um, there are pictures um, that go viral about marmots, you know, coming up to people. And um, yeah, there's a that's when I just when I just searched Alpine Marmot, there was a picture of a kid. I mean, he's like, yeah. a, he looked like he was probably nine. Those marmots are huge. He's like sitting there feeding them. Humongous. They're like as big as him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're humongous. Um, they're like, I think they can reach like five kilograms. Oh they're really gosh. big animals. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so there are a lot of those kind of pictures, but, you know, for the most part, obviously they're wild animals, so they avoid people. Um, it's just a couple of them get habituated, but so I didn't see them. And I think that it's because there was a lot of human traffic, but I also think part of it could have also been that, um, they begin to hibernate around this time, like mid to late October, just like the prairie dogs are up here where I live. We're at a similar altitude. Yeah. What was the, what was Um, the weather like when you were there at this time of year? It was actually, it was actually surprisingly warm, um, which was another reason why I was expecting them. But of course they also go by daylight as well, but, um, yeah, it, it was it was like 50 to 60 degrees most of the time I was there. So like I had brought a winter jacket and I didn't need it at all. <laughs> at all. I thought it was I was like, oh, the Alps, it's going to be like snowy. I brought my snowshoes <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> my cross-country uh, but, skis, yeah, no, remember when we tried that? Yeah. <laughs> In oh Quebec. God, we have got to talk about that story one day. <laughs> when we hardly survived. Camping in, zero in March weather. in Quebec. Oh my god, that was yeah, that was really something. Um, oh, we've totally got to talk about that yeah. story one day. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so it. In fact, even the Germans were were saying that it was unseasonably warm there um, while we were there. So, um, but anyway, I didn't see any marmots, but I did find a bunch of scat, which was really exciting. My sister was like, "Why are you taking pictures? <laughs> Why are you so, touching it?" <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why are you putting it in a bag? <laughs> but, but I did take pictures, um, and because um, I was just excited to find scat. Because I mean, when you're out there, when you are doing like field work, sometimes that's all you find is just the sign of the animal. <laughs> the- and so I just got totally into like. 
totally into the into the groove again. I was like, oh, scat. And like I was tracking like where I was finding scat. That is the most like oh. biologist <laughs> thing. Like you're on vacation <laughs> and you find animal scat and you're excited. And yeah. the people you're with think you're a weirdo. <laughs> so excited to find it i took pictures um but yeah i was um yeah that was pretty exciting it was it was it was also just nice to be in the habitat and knowing that they were there even if they weren't making themselves visible just knowing that they were there and just being able to look around and see the habitat that they lived in and um it really impressive um really they, they have to be hardy animals to live up there but um i did have an interesting fact about alpine marmots that is relevant to our most recent episodes, Mm -hmm. which is I read that alpine marmot fat, um, so fat taken from the marmot, is believed to be able to alleviate symptoms of rheumatism. So there's that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So there's there's rheumatism again. It's almost like everything just alleviates rheumatism. Yeah. um, When it comes to using animal parts. That's um, super. I highly doubt. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. I um I don't know. I didn't find any information about like whether they still believe that or how often it's used, but um yeah, so that's at least it used to be a big thing if it's not now. Actually, in fact, I know it's not now because they're um you can't just hunt them willy-nilly like you yeah. used to. Um but so yeah, that's the Alpine marmot and I wish I had a, my own picture um to post on Facebook, but I will totally post a picture of the socks. <laughs> they're totally prairie dogs when you see them you're just gonna know immediately you're gonna know immediately even matt knew and of course obviously matt knows a lot about prairie dogs because of me but even he knew the moment he saw them that they were prairie dogs um so so anyway um so the number two animal i wanted to see was the alpine ibex um which would have been even that much more amazing because there's so few of them there. Um, and of course, it was a long shot. I knew it was a long shot because of where we were hiking, because there's a lot of human traffic and it wasn't exactly um, where you might see them. But um, we were in their habitat and I didn't see them, of course, but I wanted to talk about them a little bit. Um, Back to Scotland National Park has about 200 ibex currently in their population. It's a monitored protected population. Um and that's from 34 individuals that were reintroduced to the region um, in two separate campaigns in 1927 and 1944. And they were reintroduced, obviously, because they had gone extinct in Germany by the 19th century. So it was a, a, quite a while back that they had already gone extinct in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were extirpated from the area um, and they were introduced. Uh, and from 1927 to nineteen. 19- 44, so between 70 and 90 years, something like that, um, the population grew from 34 to 200. So you can see how slow they reproduce yeah, um, and how vulnerable they are. Yeah, um, they're very vulnerable. So uh, in case anybody doesn't know, ibex are a species of wild goat, and the alpine ibex um, inhabits rocky slopes and alpine meadows in the Alps. So similar to the alpine marmot, um, but obviously um, different ecology. Um, and actually, sometimes apparently they can be found. The males, the male alpine ibex especially, spend a lot of time in the coniferous forest. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. That'd be so yes, yeah. amazing to see one of those. It would be amazing. Uh, I was really looking forward to it because they have those really amazing horns, yeah. um, especially the males. Uh, so, But alas, I didn't see one. 
Um, I, you know, part of me knew that I, I really actually, I was convinced that I was going to see a marmot. The Ibex, I was like, ah, that would be like just totally bit really good luck if I saw one. Um, but like you said, it's cool. It's either. cool knowing you're in a place that has like, yeah. you know, if, if it's something you want to see, it's cool knowing you're in a place where they exist. Like, um, like mm-hmm. down in New Mexico in the Gila National Forest, I was backpacking there and like, obviously I didn't expect to see, but they have, there's reintroduced Mexican wolves there. So it's like, you feel mm-hmm. it, it, knowing that, you know, there's this mysterious or this, not mysterious, but this animal that elusive, elusive yeah. yeah. Knowing that there's these elusive animals in your environment is, it kind of makes it more special and, and makes you feel like it's more actually wild. Or like when we were searching mm-hmm. for the pikas there in New Mexico, like even though we didn't yeah. see any, it's so cool <laughs> to know that they're there, that like you could see they're one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it really does make the experience. I mean, the hike itself was amazing, but it made the experience even more magical knowing that they were there. Yeah. Like they were there somewhere. So um, that was really cool. And just being able to see where they lived and just kind of imagine how they lived. Um, on those slopes was really awesome. So um, eventually I'll I'll try to make it back to Germany and see if I can find them on like a more dedicated search. Like this was just like a casual hike, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yes, speaking of elusive animals, (laughs) the the most, why is the most in our notes, the most information is dedicated to this next animal. (laughs) (laughs) coolest one because so um the most elusive of the three animals i really wanted to see was the vulpertinger and (laughs) i'm still waiting for mine to come in the mail because my sister shipped it (laughs) because i I couldn't get it through custom this is a weapon it has antlers (laughs) (laughs) so so the Volpertinger, um, which I, I would be really surprised if a lot of our listeners have heard about it. But we are getting more European listeners, like you said. We so. have, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, welcome, everybody. Yeah, everyone around the world, thanks for listening. It's cool to see all these listeners in yeah, um, other yes. countries. Yeah, welcome. We're glad you're listening. Um, I hope I'm not like totally butchering everything about Germany, if there are any German Oh, my gosh. But, when um, you Google Volpertinger... <laughs> The stuff that comes up, the one that you bought is cute compared to this crap. Oh, yeah, I know. Some of them can be horrifying. I specifically bought a cute one. Oh. But, so this is a little a little creature endemic to the alpine forests of Bavaria. So you can only find them in, in the alpine forest that I was hiking in. Um, and I was born in Bavaria, so they're kind of like, they're really special to me. And you were Even able to acquire found, one. I was in, I was able to They're acquire CITES one. Appendix so, 3, so it's not a, it's not an issue, people. <laughs> I know. It's unfortunate because they should be Appendix 1. They're so rare. <laughs> um, but alas, um, they have... Okay, so to describe the Volpertinger, um, ho- um, of course, we'll post a picture of it. But to describe it, they have the body of a small mammal. It can be a rabbit, a marmot... <laughs> A squirrel, a fox. If you're going to be indulgent, I fo- I saw a fox one in a in a in a store window. Wow. It was it was amazing. It's a good thing I'm not like independently wealthy because I totally would have bought it like, <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to say something about that in a bit. But um, so they have the body of a small mammal. Um, they have the horns of a deer. 
um, and they have the wings of a bird. And the wings will usually be either an owl or a duck. Um, so <laughs> obviously, um, in case nobody's gotten it by now, these are not <laughs> these are not real animals. <laughs> it's it's an entire it's it's um what is that word? Uh, mythological. Zeno, uh, yeah, it's well, yes, mythological. But what's what's the the study of? Oh, um, it's a cryptid. <laughs> cryptozoology. Yeah, yeah, it's a cryptid. Cryptozoology. <laughs> so we're entering cryptozoology, which I know you're passionate about, Jonah. But we're but this about is this, this is like fake, flat out fake. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't questionable. Like, does this animal actually exist? <laughs> yes, we all know they. Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> you never know about okay, jackalopes. So, no. Yeah, you never know. Uh, actually, these, some of these do look like jackalopes. But so back in the 1800s, um, Bavarian taxidermists um, thought it would be funny to trick tourists into thinking that this little animal, the Volpertinger, was real. Um, so they would adhere all these different animal parts together and sell these stuffed animals to gullible tourists. Um, and they for still a while, do. Of course it, yeah. <laughs> so the legend rather than it being the other way around where like there was a legend and then the the um product it's it it, the legend actually grew from the product so the legend grew from these taxidermied animals so um i have a little note here of of all the animals you'll find in the bavarian alps this is perhaps the most bavarian animal (laughs) (laughs) out there because it was literally made in bavaria it was, yeah, exactly. Um, also, the Bavarians are just really great, funny people. But um, so here, here, in case anybody wants to find a Volpertinger, here's what you have to do. To find a Volpertinger, okay, in the wild, obviously you have to be in the Bavarian Alps um, and they live in the forest. So, but you had to meet a couple of really specific criteria. Okay, so <laughs> for, first... <laughs> First, you had to be an attractive single woman. <laughs> single woman. <laughs> Second, there has to be a full moon. So we're getting very specific already. Um, third, obviously, you have to be in the Bavarian Alps. I already mentioned that. Fourth, you, the attractive single woman, must be in the company of the quote-unquote right man <laughs> while you're out there in the woods looking for the Wolfertinger. The Wolfertinger can if distinguish meet- if it's the right man or not. <laughs> Yes, a Volpertinger can distinguish. And if you meet all this criteria with a little bit of patience and wandering in the dark, in the, <laughs> a Volpertinger will appear. Um, <laughs> so you have to meet all this criteria. So there's another online source, and um, I'll find it and I'll dig it up and send a link to it. But I wanted to quote this verbatim because I like this, the way they um, the way they say, say this. Anyway, <clears throat> so it goes... The best way to catch a Volpertinger, according to legend, is to be a beautiful young woman or be in the company of one, apparently, since Volpertingers have a weakness for female beauty. The woman should go out into a forest at night while the moon is full and find a secluded nook where a Volpertinger is likely to be. Hopefully, the creature will soon reveal itself. When it does, the woman should... <laughs> well, you know what? I should probably shouldn't read that. <laughs> Anyway, if you really want to know, gets a little explicit because a wolf, it, yeah, vul, vulpertinger is a little 
pervert. <laughs> so if the <laughs> if the attractive single woman takes the correct <laughs> steps, the Volpertinger will instantly fall into a stupor, allowing it <laughs> to easily be bagged. And to, and and then of course taxidermied and sold. I think the people um, the taxidermists came up with this also. <laughs> They were also <laughs> I perverts. Think they did. <laughs> I think they did. Like everything, like the whole situation is so questionable. Like being an attractive single woman alone in the dark of the woods, like with the right man. <laughs> oh my gosh. If this is Bavarian humor, I want more. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. So currently, um, in present day, you can find a stuffed Volpertinger um, in various stores, distilleries, and bars in Bavaria. Um, and I could not resist coming home with one or, or at least buying one. Obviously, like I just said, I couldn't come home with it. My sister's shipping it in like a really carefully like constructed container because like it's got the wings and everything. The one I bought has like busted up wings, but I thought it was even more special because of that. Cause he's obviously been through <laughs> some things before he got bagged by an attractive woman in the woods. <laughs> he had obviously been through things. So I felt bad for him. And he was covered in dust because oh my tourists aren't gullible anymore. Marianne, <laughs> for our anymore. listeners, Mariana texted me a picture of this. <laughs> and I had no context. <laughs> and I knew that she had bought it. <laughs> because it to. looked like a, a rodent-like ridiculous animal. <laughs> it, was. it had a body of a marmot, too. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyway... Wait, I did want to. I did want to say something important and serious about the Volvertinger, which is that um, before I before I bought this animal, I made sure that it had been uh, responsibly harvested, or all the pieces had been <laughs> responsibly <laughs> harvested. So, so in Germany, um, they have like really strict laws about harvesting wildlife and about taxidermying them and um, where the pieces come from. So I made sure that everything was um, by the book before I um, before I bought my piece, which is something you should always do if you're a tourist in a foreign country. Um, no matter how irresistible something was, no matter how irresistible that was, I knew that I was not going to uh, buy it if the if it if if anything about it was questionable, you know, um, no matter how much I wanted it, I was not gonna um, I was not going to buy it if it was questionable. So everybody should do that. It's a good practice. Um, when you're in any country, the United States as well. But if you're a tourist and you just have some money to spend and you just want to collect some cool stuff from your travels, um, it's easy to get distracted and just like buy things that that might have animal parts or clearly have animal parts. Um, and so anyway, that's just a little thing I wanted to add at the end <clears throat> because it's freaking hilarious, but it has to be responsibly sourced, which, which mine was, and which um, I, I'm almost confident to say every Volpertinger is um, if you find one in Bavaria. But you should always ask. Um, you should always ask. So, anyway, um, enough about that. I didn't see any of those three animals that I wanted to see in the wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not a single woman, so I couldn't see the Volpertinger, but. <laughs> If I were, I totally would have well, under the Well, it says you could be in it oh, you can be in the, in the company, company of the right man. Too. So That's Matt right. must not be the right man. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the Volpertinger has revealed oh, much about a, your that's relationship. That's a rough way to find out. <laughs> I'll try again next time, but um, next time I'll like I'll do like what we used to do in Maine, where we'd go out for some for some reason, like in the middle of the night, or not in the middle of the night, but you know when we'd go out trying to look for otters and such. Oh yeah. Um, with that really, with that really poor quality um oh. night vision thing. Remember? That? <laughs> we just sat there. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. that thing was a hunk of junk. It was like a night vision telescope. Oh my gosh. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I need to like be prepared like that to actually find a Volpertinger. But mm. <clears throat> anyway, I wasn't I wasn't prepared. You know, I that's the only reason why I didn't find one is because I wasn't prepared. Otherwise, yeah. I totally would have found one. But yep. um, yeah, so <laughs> didn't see a Volpertinger, didn't see an Ibex and didn't see a Marmot. What I did see <laughs> um, in Germany was a lot of pigeons <laughs> in city squares. Magical. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, really magical. Actually, I did see a couple that were really cool, uh, really cool colors. But um, a lot of domestic horses, a lot of sheep, um, a lot of dogs. Actually, there are dogs everywhere. Um, we Actually, I even saw like this, this really idyllic farm um, in Bechtesgaden where like there were these sheep and there was like a marama sheep dog i don't know if, <clears throat> if if you know what that is but it's a shepherd it's a sheep sheep guarding breed um and i don't know it was just really cool to see a working dog actually working instead of just like being on a leash um <clears throat> so that was cool and um at the beginning of the episode everybody heard my little recording where i talked about this little black bird that i thought maybe was some type of corvid i didn't recognize <laughs> I am embarrassed to say it was nothing of the sort. It was a common blackbird, <laughs> also known as the Eurasian blackbird in Europe. So very exotic I'm and rare. Not a, yes, very exotic and rare. Obviously not a birder. But hey, um, I but never, I've never seen one, so I would be excited to see one because oh, I don't cool. have that on my life list. Okay, yeah, I have never been oh, birding oh. in Europe. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, you'll see them. Um, especially if like, if you go up to Eagle's Nest and sit on a bench and have like French fries in front of you, <laughs> you will see. <laughs> you'll see your Asian. The easiest birds. way um, to get a new bird species for my life list: <laughs> French fries. <yeah. laughs> exactly. Yeah, they don't have the uh, the strict criteria that uh, such animals like Volpertingers have. <laughs> um, but but they are actually pretty cool, even though they're really common. They're like this really striking deep black and like it's got that yellow coloration around the eyes and it's got a yellow beak um they're they're actually really cool looking cool looking birds um so that's all i did see out there i didn't see any eagles even though i mean the the skies were so clear i didn't see a single eagle um and i didn't even see a rabbit for that matter not one that didn't have deer horns stuck to its head um (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm just dreaming about the birding there. Like going to somewhere like Europe where I've probably not seen one of the species <clears throat> there. Like, I mean, I, I've seen a oh, golden yeah. eagle. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe there's, well, no, there's probably a few species that I've seen in Southern Africa because some European species um, oh, migrate yeah. down to Africa in the northern winter. But there's just, mm-hmm. there'd just be so many new birds there. I would just be overwhelmed. It's It's like, it's yeah. so stressful for me 
planning a trip going to a new place like like going to belize where there's like uh uh, over 500 species in that tiny country it's so stressful like because you know i want to enjoy it but i also want to see new species but i also don't want to be like all i want to all i care about is seeing new species like i don't want to just be like go 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 see as many species but i um it's just stressful like because i want to see scarlet macaws and i want to so I just imagine going to yeah. Europe because um, at least in Belize, there's like a lot of at that time of year in January, a lot of our species, like our warblers will have migrated down there. So there'll Makes be sense. some familiar yeah. species, but um, Europe is just a whole new ball game. It is. Yeah. I saw, I mean, I saw a lot of waterfowl species I didn't recognize and I meant to look them up and I never did in mm. time. And now that it's kind of the memory is blurry in my head. So yeah. I wouldn't be able to ID them. But I saw several waterfowl species that I had never seen before. Um, so yeah, and <clears throat> so that was really cool. Um, so yeah, it would be, it would be really exciting. Um, you should definitely go sometime. Um, I'm sure you'll end up there for one reason or another, anyway. Um, oh yeah, whether no, it's I'd... for work or another trip that you have to fund by working retail. <laughs> I know. I want to go to my <laughs> my homeland, the Gula homeland in Slovakia. I already have a trip planned. I just don't know when it's going to happen, but I have like an itinerary because yeah, I, I just should. love like planning trips. I should be a travel agent <laughs> <laughs> for people that like wildlife. Anyways. Okay. Uh, how, yeah. how has this episode been an hour long? We've just rambled. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I probably talked about the world for 30 minutes. But <laughs> people are going to like halfway through be like, okay, I'm turning this off. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just like dying laughing. So many we think it's so today. entertaining. Yeah. Um. Anyways, well, we'll get back to our recording routine with one episode a week, hopefully, and maybe our next episode will yeah. do something that's a little less. This is this was like a we didn't talk about really much down. Uh, this episode wasn't a downer like a lot of the other episodes, but. Maybe we should wait a couple yeah. episodes before we cover another conservation issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we'll definitely do a few more positive ones, and obviously, we'll just get we'll jump right back into the conservation issues. And we would love to hear from our listeners if you have any ideas. Any, I mean, we have a huge list of topics, but we would love to hear more topic ideas um, from listeners or questions they have. We can always revisit. Um, a question, like if, even if you have a question about plastics, we did that, um, several episodes ago, we'll take any questions. Um, if you're oh gosh, that's some episodes. of the news. Oh, the what? European union is, they voted, they passed the, um, the, oh, yes. the, the proposal to ban single use plastics. Yes, that's right. That's the we, biggest we news of all. We texted each other about that. That's right. We forgot about that. Uh, that happened while I was in Germany too. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's cool. Very that's, cool. I wish that the United States would step up and uh, yeah. join in that, taking that lead. But um, I'm glad that the EU is doing that because someone has to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool because yeah. we talked about that in our episode. That um, so it's cool to follow up with it here. So. Yeah, absolutely, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the EU is doing what it's been promising to do. So that's good. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So if you uh, want to check out more of our episodes, um, you can find us on Facebook um, and Instagram at Conservation Chronicles. 
<laughs> you always put Twitter in our notes. I made us a Twitter and I started posting and I have absolutely no clue how to use oh, it, really? how you oh. reach people. So yeah. it's just inactive and I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's worth it. Um, maybe someday. Yeah, just, maybe someday. Yeah, yeah. I don't we'll understand how you're supposed to get people to follow you or like see right. your posts. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Like, I don't know. You have to put like a popular hashtag up there or something. <laughs> I don't I, know. That's what I was trying to do, but a- yeah. anyways. Anyways, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram currently, um, and please share the podcast with people. I know we have a lot of, I get a lot of feedback from people that listen to it, like friends and stuff, and they like yeah. it, and I always tell them to share. Um, so it's Thank cool that we're starting to get a more global audience. Yeah, awesome. We like that, so sp- spread the word. Oh, and you could our website is um, conservationchronicles.podbean.com. You could find our other episodes there or on um, other podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and Stitcher. Yeah. How do you say goodbye in German? Um, it's um, Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Hey, Jonah. So... On a scale of one to ten, how out of shape do you think I am by the way I'm breathing? Anyway, on to the better stuff. I'm hoping you can hear that bird song. Maybe I'll be able to identify it when I have when I'm back in the hotel. Oh, I'm on the Watchman Trail, still in Betchett's. Bechtesgaden, Bechtesgaden, or Bechtesgaden, as they say here. Bechtesgaden was Hitler's stronghold, but um, the people of the town were not Nazis. They were like, oh, there's a big history, but that's human history. But um, we're on a trail on the highest mountain here, and it's gorgeous.